This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Jump statistical discovery software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results. Welcome back to the Policy Viz podcast. I'm your host, John Schwabish. On this week's episode, we are going to go out to the west coast of the U.S. and talk to Meredith Lee, who is the executive director of the West Big Data Innovation Hub and sitting at the University of California at Berkeley. Meredith, how are you? Welcome to the show. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Good to talk to you again. It's been a while. I think the last time I saw you was at the Big Data Summit here in D.C., right? Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, cool. So you were here for a while and now you're out in California. Um, maybe we can start by having you give your background for folks and just go right into what is the uh, West Big Data Innovation Hub. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a very diverse background um, before joining Berkeley and becoming the executive director of the West Big Data Innovation Hub. When we had met John, I was a science and technology policy fellow in D.C. working with the Department of Homeland Security um, and then had, you know, all sorts of uh, great experiences working on the federal big data R&D strategic plan. Um, I was leading the Innovation for Disaster Response and Recovery Initiative uh, under the Obama administration and sort of on my nights and weekends doing uh, all sorts of things like producing, you know, the first national maker fair. So there's no shortage of exciting things going on in D.C. Um, I think if I look back on my resume, you know, you usually have one place that you're at for a year or two or something like that. And it was like, oh, I had, you know, five or six different <laughs> roles. <laughs> so it was great for, you know, making those connections, um, getting an idea because mm. uh, I'd never worked in the government ecosystem before. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, the government is probably known more for bureaucracy than uh, creativity. No, not so, our government. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, it was it was great to have these underground uh, sub-basement level support groups where you're, you know, allowed to paint the walls green and have moving whiteboards and people don't look at you like you're crazy when you brought in a bucket of Post-its. Yeah, that's, that's, um, the, but... <laughs> that's, what, that's what innovation is in the federal government, right? It's like Post-it notes and paint. So, okay. Um, no, I'm familiar. Um, Those small things definitely helped, yep, um, yep. you know, uh, add some flavor to the time in D.C. You know, I, I was unsure of the whole, can I do this wearing a suit thing? Because before that, um, I was, you know, grad student and postdoc, very, very much, you know, in the lab working with hardware. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Thinking back, I think the motivation for uh, developing data science partnerships really started um, probably during internships uh, in college and, and grad school. I always found myself most excited when we were working at the intersection of fields and I was making the rounds, you know, physically to different departments and silos and figuring out how, how we could essentially engineer something that would stick, would be robust and incorporate all these different, you know, constraints and, and end users. And so I, I end up doing actually quite a bit of that still in um, my current role, 
you know, an example is like, you know, when I was doing my PhD, I was actually looking at life or, or death situations, real-time monitoring of people's blood. Um, and so that was where, you know, I really got the bug of applications-focused mm-hmm. um, science, you know, whether it was in surgery or out in the battlefield, wanting to base your actions on reliable data um, was really the, the key there. And being able to, you know, for a patient, add blood thinners or add coagulants and take corrective measures, mm-hmm. um, that was really you know, uh, my first foray into this, um, you know, decision as a, as a grad student you have, and are you looking at, you know, uh, systems or that meta view of things? Are you looking more at the technology or the human interface and how comfortable are you with being sort of out of your comfort zone and working across, uh, disciplines? Yeah. So I should actually yeah, go, go visit my PhD advisors and thank them for uh, making me very comfortable <laughs> in those, you know, oh, I'm sitting in a room with biologists and I'm an electrical engineer. What is this? <laughs> right, right. And so you try to bring over the course of the last few years, you try to bring all these different groups together. Have you found that there's um, a certain uniting theme or concept that easily sort of helps those group, those different types of groups and skill sets blend together? Yeah, you know, I work with designers, I work with, you know, folks who identify as data scientists, folks who um, essentially are doing data science, but don't really know to call it that, mm. uh, policymakers, entrepreneurs, etc. Right. We try to be really inclusive. Um, I think, you know, at the outset, when I was recruited by uh, Mike Franklin from Berkeley uh, to lead the hub, and he introduced me to um, our other principal investigators from San Diego and the University of Washington, um, I was really struck by, even though there's a three-hour time difference um, from, say, the, the West Coast to D.C., there's definitely, um, you know, barriers in terms of culture or just uh, terminology and comfort level of working across sectors. Mm-hmm. So I think when we met, uh, when Mike and I met at the White House Data to Knowledge to Action event, there was a breakout session, and that was a time when the big data initiative um, under the Obama administration was just ramping up, um, and most federal agencies didn't have, you know, Silicon Valley presence or really that much um, engagement um, as we do now uh, with the West. And so, you know, we saw this opportunity and the shared interest to explore ways to collaborate, and it really is like this this sort of catch-all of you've got data science, you know, that tech bread and butter that I grew up on and that, you know, you're quite uh, comfortable with as well. And then the partnerships angle has a lot to do with the human-centered design elements and looking at the the broader ecosystem mm-hmm. and then putting both of those together right. to, you know, work on compelling applications um, you know, luckily, our, our applications are, um, you know, societal benefit. I don't run into that many people who are like, oh, no, we shouldn't, you know, work on healthcare or precision right. medicine, you know, smart cities. We, we really want to have that dumb city. You know? <laughs> right. uh, actually, you know, that could be a whole other podcast in and of itself, you know, that, <laughs> that interface. But I think in general, people are on board with applying data for social good. Right, right. Now, I want to talk about some of the projects you've you've been working on from the Data Hub. But can you talk a little bit about what it is and how it came out of the the uh, Obama administration and what your group sort of focuses on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the big data innovation hubs are a new venture. We've only been around for uh, about uh, 16 months or so. Um, it was launched with seed funding from the National Science Foundation. 
And our mission is really to build and strengthen partnerships um, across industry, academia, nonprofits, and government at all levels. Um, we address societal challenges, as I mentioned, and it's really about accelerating the adoption of uh, data-driven solutions. So, um, you know, as you know, it's not always just the feasibility of the tech side mm -hmm. of things. It's, you know, about understanding the humans, the policies, the real-world factors that are you know, really essential to making something stick and be sustainable. So we do a lot of convening and coordinating and building that like connective tissue. Yeah. Um, for topics of regional and national priority. Yeah. And it seems like having done all this sort of networking connecting over the last few years that you've been doing lends itself pretty well to doing this across different states in the West and all those industries and, and academia. Um, is there a particular project that you that you really enjoy, either because it's such a challenge um, of, of trying to get these different groups together or because some of the technology or data constraints or both, yeah. maybe? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I think the networking and sort of just connectivity practice um, has definitely, as you said, helped, but I've never really done it at, you know, this scale. We have yeah. 13 different states. Um, you know, that's what was so exciting um, and, and drew me to this challenge. You know, everyone from the folks in Alaska and Hawaii to Montana, Wyoming, Colorado, New Mexico. And before this uh, gig, I had never been to, you know, Wyoming or New Mexico. Now I can say I have. Nice. Um, <laughs> and we're, you know, we're making it out to, to Montana soon. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think in terms of our thematic areas, um, when you look at, uh, you know, transportation or, um, you know, justice data, like our police uh, data initiatives, that has been something that's been really interesting because it has that mix of, you know, the technical, you know, launching an open data portal with the city for the first time, um, but also really deep roots in terms of the social and community building aspects of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's something where, you know, we're always looking from the leadership perspective of how do we measure progress? You know, you've got the, the numbers from, you know, how many people have participated in different workshops, how many people are getting inspired by, you know, our community gatherings and leading their own types of events. But a lot of the really powerful testimonials, and we started uh, talking about that uh, real connection with our stakeholders, have been uh, more anecdotal, at mm -hmm. least to start. Um, and so, you know, one of my um, uh, things that's at the top of the radar right now is uh, our hub has been working with the public policy uh, folks in Boise, Idaho. Haven't been to Idaho yet, but I've had lots and lots of phone calls with them. <laughs> and we'll get out there soon. Out there soon, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that's a great team. Uh, they're working at uh, the intersection of data and the criminal justice system. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how might sharing police data increase community trust and community engagement? And I think this is a really powerful example because it's something, it's a connection there that you could really argue probably would not have happened if it weren't for the West Big Data Innovation Hub. Um, I literally, you know, got a call from the director and assistant police chief um, from Tempe, Arizona, 
know, a long ways away from uh, from Boise, Idaho. And, you know, a series of emails and video chats and different roundtables ensued. And now we're all collaborating together um, on the city's first open data portal. Uh, the first data set will actually be um, police data. We've got industry partners that, you know, the hub is bringing into the fold. Uh, there's volunteer data visualization consultants and um, you know, our, our friends who are data journalists also coming into that mix. So it's a really interesting combination of all of those different uh, elements into a project that, you know, has a real tangible uh, result for the community. What's the relationship like between someone who's sort of working for the federal government and then going into, or not going into, I don't want to make it sound like that, but, but partnering with places that are more state and local does that relationship change or does it does it work out in, in odd or unique ways that you're coming from the federal government and, and trying to help local areas work with data in better ways? Um, you know, that's a really great question. And uh, having worked with all these stakeholders and having sort of had that hat on yeah. at various points um, in my career, I can say that, you know, one of the real benefits of the hub um, is that we have this neutral, safe place, um, essentially, where everyone, whether you're, you know, federal, state, local, territorial, tribal, um, or you're an academic or, or industry, um, you feel that uh, we're all, you know, deeply, we all deeply care about these topics. Everyone can contribute um, in a valuable way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, one um, example of that is, you know, if you get competing companies um, at the same table, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's something where, you know, maybe some of the motive or all of the motivations from, you know, a given stakeholder might not align with the person you're sitting next to. But recognizing that there's this wide range of stakeholders who can all um, contribute and engage is really like one of our strong points as as this neutral hub. So I think, you know, the ties to universities that are well respected um, the, you know, openness to bringing, uh, all sorts of stakeholders to the table has really helped us. Right. Um, well, it sounds great. And because March is the month of storytelling for me, I want to turn our attention to the, uh, science of data-driven storytelling that you have been working on. Can you give me a sense of, of what those meetings have been like? And then, um, we can talk about stories and data and whether we're going to have to fight or not. I'm, not, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking maybe we're not going to have to fight, but maybe we will. We'll throw it down a little bit. But I think you're you're going in. You have um, a two part agenda, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. And uh, well, so maybe you could just talk about it a little bit. Sure. Um, the science of data driven storytelling was uh, a series that uh, kicked off um, in the summer in LA. It was funded in part with the Computing Community Consortium, and we worked with a startup. Uh, that has now probably outgrown its startup status, uh, Data Science Inc. Um, so they have the lovely domain datascience.com, which was great. And sort of in retrospect, I guess we sort of should have realized that it was going to be this popular, but we thought we were, you know, hosting this small get together, having people share their lessons learned and best practices in terms of sharing how they uh, communicate their work with a broader audience. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, very quickly grew into this multi-location uh, two-part event with the community. We had the chief data officer from the city of LA, folks from, you know, the LA Times, New York Times, all coming um, for this series. 
And it really had this community of practice, I guess, sort of launched uh, with this first event. We had over 700 participants. Um, a lot of those were dialing in from you know, more than 15 countries, which uh, we didn't anticipate. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we thought we were just having this, you know, West uh, Hub event. We actually had, you know, 25 different states, so uh, half of the states in, in the country joining in as well. Um, Matt Daniels from polygraph.cool, who did mm -hmm. a really interesting data visualization um, project on, on gender and film, um, spoke about his method. And, you know, we had folks uh, speaking of police data, um, Chris Keller from KPCC was talking about uh, his hashtag officer involved um, story and interactive visualization to uh, look into police uh, shootings in LA. And we had folks from Project Jupiter. I don't know if uh, all, all of your audience would be familiar with that, but um, it's an open source interactive uh, data computation mm -hmm. platform. And they actually just announced their first uh, JupyterCon. Hopefully it's as uh, well-received as like Comic-Con. It's, it's in New York uh, this summer, and I think it's a really exciting project. And so bringing all of those different community members who are growing the uh, the corpus of data-driven stories mm -hmm. um, was fantastic. And being able to, you know, share common pain points and different methods of coming up with a compelling story was really the, the uniting factor. Right. So, yeah. So let's, so let's talk about the story part. So how did people there view this phrase of data-driven storytelling? Do they view it as an actual story, the way we might think of a, of a traditional story, a, a novel or a book? or a play, or an opera, or whatever? Or was it more about, well, stories just sort of at the end, but I'm really interested in the data-driven part? Mm -hmm. I think there's a spectrum. I mean, because mm -hmm. we brought university researchers who were struggling to figure out how to get public engagement about their story, whether they needed, you know, crowdsourced data from folks, or they just wanted the public to be able to understand and support their work, mm -hmm. um, you know, versus some folks who are much more um, skilled at journalism basics and, and understanding that traditional story with the arc and, and all of that. Um, so everyone had their own perspective, but I think we were um, much more on the end of the spectrum where it was, you know, looking at the call to action, the hook that pulls somebody in, um, describing, you know, the headlines and the taglines and making it very engaging mm -hmm. for the audience. So um, I'm afraid there's not too much throwdown or arguing. Uh, We're no. probably on the same uh, no, page yeah. um, there. You know, I don't think that a bar chart is a story. Yeah, uh, you know, oh, good. full okay, stop. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we are on the same page. All right, well, we'll have to throw down about something else then. Um, <laughs> so when these different groups are sitting in the room together, do they have the opportunity to really sit down and try to hammer out some issues and problems? So if I'm running, um, say, a data portal in my city, and I talk about it in front of a room of however many people, I often feel like a lot of these conferences are, I present my thing, and then I go to the next session, and there's not a ton of the sort of real collaboration that I might need, because I'm, like you said, you're trying to solve a problem, or hit. there's a, there's a pressure point um, that I need help with. So do these events try to get people you know, sitting down with pen and paper or computer and whatever and, you know, and, and try to hack out or, or hash out some of the problems and the, and the technical issues? 
Yeah, I think you you bring up a really great point in terms of, you know, every sort of event or activity that we're pulling together, we try to be very intentional about the interaction. So there really isn't a lot of, you know, uh, sitting in an audience and just listening to somebody and then, you know, going up afterwards for questions. We have much more of a roll up your sleeves, you know, get around the table, have, you know, a graphic facilitator um, or, you know, other ways to really get much more involved than just, mm-hmm. you know, taking notes and, and raising your hand to ask a question. Um, I think one good example of that was an event that we had just a couple months ago on building up data science capacity in organizations. So mm-hmm. um, that was a joint with a whole bunch of teams, the Obama administration's White House Data Cabinet, um, the Interagency Policy Working Group. Uh, I think we had Department of Commerce, DHS, uh, NSF and an IDEO, the consulting firm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, uh, having about eight co-hosts is very indicative of how collaborative of a business yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. data-driven, you know, organizations is. In that particular workshop, we actually uh, used this IDEO uh, framework of creative tensions. Have you heard of creative tensions no. at all? No, but it's, going it's really cool. I know. And, you know, this is something that you got you, you can bring out at your dinner parties. Um, you essentially... <laughs> ask, you know, are you stripes or solids? It was, it was near the holidays. So it's like Grinch or Scrooge, big data, data science, etc. Um, so you have different ends of the spectrum and then people get up and vote with their feet where they are along that line. Uh, so you're actually doing this, you know, physically. moving with your body, physical, right. you know, data visualization. And it gives everybody, you know, um, there may be quieter folks in the room, some way to contribute to the conversation. And then, you know, some folks will raise their hands and say, oh, I'm standing here because, you know, uh, I have this, you know, perspective for our organization. So it worked really well in terms of um, figuring out where people stood and and also sparking conversation Mm -hmm. um, about should things be top down or bottom up? Like, how might we empower small data science teams within a, a bigger organization? So um, we try to design our events, you know, a little non-traditionally and have those different engagement options so that uh, we can help foster those relationships because at the end of the day, it's all about the relationships. Right, right. So I'm glad I now have a a name for this because I I do do these uh, activities in class. Um, Oh, cool. And and did a really interesting one, must have been a year or two ago in New York, where it was an event on data ethics and... You know, we asked different questions and the group had to stand along a spectrum of where they, you know, where they stood on these different data ethical questions. So now I have a name for it, though, which is nice. And I also like that tensions is right there in the title. So that's great. Uh, Before we sign off, I do want to talk about one project that you had emailed me about because it has a great, um, a great acronym. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) uh, the Water Task Force. um, Can you talk a little bit about that and and the different groups that you've pulled together and, and the goals of the group? Yes, absolutely. I've, I've got to love the acronym on yeah. that one, too. I mean, it, it really just sort of captures the, uh, you know, need for a uh, call to action and bringing all the folks together. Um, you know, if you look at the West, the 13 states, our bodies of water actually physically connect, you know, across state lines. So that's a huge opportunity to have collaboration um, regionally. Uh, for example, the Colorado River, um, you know, produces $26 billion of, of economic output 
um, and had like a quarter million jobs associated with it. And that whole river uh, watershed, you know, spans seven out of our 13 West states. Hmm. And uh, there's like 30 plus million people in those seven states in Mexico who depend on the Colorado River for their water supply. So, um, you know, we've been making the rounds in all of our different states and seeing that there really is this shared desire to collaborate more on some of our water resource management uh, projects. Mm -hmm. California has, you know, $2.7 billion earmarked to uh, improvements. And a big chunk of that is looking at how we can update some of our states uh, very in need of of updating systems in terms of data sharing and coordination across all of our different regions. So yeah, I'm getting to a lot of meetings with Folks very interested in talking about groundwater and better data about how we as a community are using and and saving water. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of interesting things to watch for in that space. And we're always taking offers for for help and leadership in, in that water task force. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fascinating, not just only because you get to work with all these different groups, but you're working in all these different social policy, public policy areas that mm-hmm. I'm sure like, I don't know, maybe you've never thought about water task force, uh, water usage. I know I haven't, but it would be fascinating to just, you know, sit in these meetings and talk with these experts. Uh, Meredith, it's been great having you on the show. It's really interesting. Um, I will put, uh, of course, links to all of your work on the site. And if folks out there have expertise or thoughts that they want to lend to the work, I'm sure they can uh, get in touch with you. Again, thanks for coming on the show. It's been, it's been great. Thank you so much. Take care, John. Take care, Meredith, and thanks to everybody for tuning in to this week's episode. It's been fun as always. So until next time, this has been the Policy of This Podcast. Thanks for listening. This episode of the Policy Viz podcast is brought to you by Jump Statistical Discovery Software from SAS. Jump, spelled J-M-P, is an easy-to-use tool that connects powerful analytics with interactive graphics. The drag-and-drop interface of Jump enables quick exploration of data to identify patterns, interactions, and outliers. Jump has a scripting language for reproducibility and interfacing with R. Click on this episode's sponsored link to receive a free info kit that includes an interview with DataViz experts Kaiser Fung and Alberto Cairo. In the interview, they discuss information gathering, analysis, and communicating results.